Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. Today I'm going to be talking to my friend Phil Metzger. Phil has an amazing new podcast that's part of the Good Lion Podcast Network called Crossing Cultures. It's a podcast that is dedicated to helping people connect to those who live, think, and believe differently than they do. This is such an important concept for Christians to grab onto. Too often we kind of live in our own little echo chambers and bubbles and we only really hear our own perspective. And of course, we're thankful for our perspective because we believe it's truth, but we're also called to reach the world. And it's really hard to reach the world when you don't actually know any real people who think differently and when you don't train yourself to learn how to have conversations with people that think differently. So I'm really grateful for this show that Phil is doing. It so reflects my heart. The entire first season of his show is going to be dedicated to delving into the hard topics of race and racial reconciliation and the gospel. And I'm excited to listen to Phil talk to people that are different than him and to learn from people that are different from him and to create a space where they can also hear from him and learn from him too. So I'm looking forward to that show. If you want to listen to it, go into any podcast app and look for Crossing Cultures, Phil Metzger. Or you can go to our website, goodlion.io slash crossing cultures. With that, let's get into the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. This is Aaron Salvato, and I'm here with my friend, Phil Metzger. Hey, Phil. Hey, Aaron. Good to be with you, buddy. Good to have you, man. It's It's been a long time since you and I have had any sort of conversation, so I'm glad that we're doing it this way. This is really cool. Yeah, this works. Hey, it's, it's the world we live in right now. It's perfect. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Phil. So for our audience members who are some Calvary people, some not Calvary people, can you give us sort of a brief summary of just your time in ministry and and what you're currently doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I I mean, it's pretty quick story to tell. I uh, gave my life to the Lord when I was a, I think a junior or senior in high school, right around that time. And very quickly, I felt God calling me to missions work. And I, right after high school, I moved to Moscow, Russia. I spent some time there, came back to America. Then I lived in in a, in a city in Hungary for a time, came back to America. I was a youth pastor at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa for a while, but still had the bug for missions. And so my wife and I and our one-year-old baby, we moved back to Hungary and we spent the last 20 years there, church planting, involved in the Bible college there in, in Hungary. And I've been now the last two years back in America with my family, and we're living in San Diego where I pastor a church called Calvary San Diego. Oh, that's great. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I think I, I've heard you come out and speak at some different Calvary Chapel youth camps back when I was a student, and uh, it's always been great to hear your story and your testimony. But that that could be in itself an entire episode, just talking about your your story on the mission field. And maybe we'll have you back on another time for that. But I think on this episode, what we want to talk about is this new podcast that you're going to be starting on the CGN Good Lion podcast network. So yeah, why don't you tell us about that? So I've been back in America, like I said, for two years. And, you know, kind of my my focus has been as a missionary, you know, you leave your culture here in America and you go to another country, wherever that is, if you decide to be a missionary. And 
you have to learn how to shed, or I like to call it like deculturalize a lot of those things that you hold on to because of where you're from in order to reach people who think differently than you do. Hmm. So when, like for, for example, for me, leaving America and going to Eastern Europe to the country of Hungary, it's not just learning a new language, but it's learning a new culture, learning mm. how to address people in a way that they're going to be able to hear what I have to say about the gospel, how to make friends, how to connect to people. It's not the same as it is in my home country. So right. that became such a passion of our lives of learning how to connect to people. And the first step towards that is being willing to kind of shed my own preconceived cultural concepts hmm. um, so that I could connect to somebody. And then now, so now being back in America and realizing that the church here, and I mean the, the church, like the capital C church, uh, global church, but especially the church here in America, we struggle, it seems, with how to connect to people who don't live exactly like we do. Like our, our whole idea is that we want to reach the, the lost with the message of the gospel. But if we can't bridge those gaps relationally, we're never going to get those opportunities. Mm. And so the yeah. whole point of the podcast, you know, kind of my tagline is helping Christians connect to those who live, believe, and think differently than they do. Wow. And that kind of summarizes everything that I'm, I'm trying to accomplish in this podcast. That's great. So what's the title of the podcast? The podcast is called Crossing Cultures. That's Appropriate, awesome. I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crossing Cultures. Man, I love that. That's going to be such a great addition to what we're doing. I get excited because that is so... <laughs> my heart. I think that a lot of times Christians in the West and in my context, you know, I understand America, we're so in this bubble quite often where we've got this, this very Americanized, very specific way of viewing Christianity. And a lot of times for people like me, you know, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. I was in a bubble. I was in the Christian bubble, you know, VeggieTales and K-Wave and just uh, uh, Adventures in Odyssey and private Christian school, Bible college, all that stuff. I know there's people listening where it's like, yeah, that you understand that world. That's where you've grown up. And for me, one of the things that just helped me so much in ministry was bursting that bubble a little bit and starting to talk to people who are from different perspectives and backgrounds. Cause you can just get in this mentality where it's like, you know, you think everybody who's a Christian obviously thinks the way I do. And that's just not true. There's so many Christians out there that think differently about different things. But then when you're so in a bubble that you don't even understand how non-Christians believe or think about the world, I feel like I feel like a lot of times you're judging non-Christians based on what you've heard other Christians say about them and, and sort right. of paint the picture of them and you're not getting it straight from the horse's mouth. And so I think what you're doing is so valuable, Phil. I think it's awesome. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to it. It's, you know, it's a, you know, I think like these things have to be born out of passion and it's definitely my passion is to, mm. you know, it's not about, it's not about like, and that's something that I'd like to talk about right now, if you, if you don't mind, or we can, we can kind of expand a little bit more, but it's really about oh, yeah, like, please do thinking, thinking differently doesn't mean thinking wrong. Mm, that's good. It's kind of a big thing that I mention on in the, you know, when I'm, when I'm training like new missionaries or prospective missionaries, I always try to tell them like other cultures, it's not about right and wrong. It's about different. And, you know, so you're going to eat food that is different. It's not wrong. It's just not what you're used to. <laughs> 
Well, I heard, yeah. I heard I had one friend who was on the mission field and he talked about how they wanted him to eat monkey brains. And I was <laughs> like, that that's wrong. <laughs> like, I want to go out. I don't know if I'm going out on a limb, but I would say that I, I'm not a fan of that. But anyway, so yeah, go on, continue. <laughs> but again, that's you're making my point is, you know, right or, right or wrong, you know, it's, it's probably like, you know, somebody, they probably want him to eat that because that's something so important to them. And they're right. curious if he yep. would, is he willing to engage in something they value? And, you know, obviously again, you know, and, and a lot of my core text for, for this whole concept comes from first Corinthians chapter nine, when Paul says, I've become all things to all men that I might win by all means mm. that I might save some. Yeah. And so it's like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to reach people knowing that only some are going to respond to the gospel. Like I'm not responsible. My, my cultural engagement won't save anyone, hmm. but it might open a door for some to come to Christ. That's good. Yeah. No, I love that. I, I you know, I think that's so valuable in today's world. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot. I think that right now, if I can just touch on that idea of being all things to all people, I'd I'd love to pick your brain about that specifically, because I think right now in America, it's let's go even, you know, not as far as going to other countries. Let's just talk about the differences in our own country for a quick second. Right now, we are in an election year, and it is such a polarized time. It's such a difficult time. There's so much division over things like the economy. Right now, we've seen a lot of things about race and authority. And, it, you know, of course, we've got the, you know, the classic left-right divide. And I've grown up in sort of a Christian environment that basically said, you know, if you're a Christian, you have to be right wing Republican and anybody who thinks differently than right wing Republican is not Christian, not saved. They're an idiot. They're a horrible person. That's sort of the the dogma I've heard around it. But what I've been finding just in my own life as somebody who's grown up conservative is somebody who's grown up, you know, in the conservative Christian bubble I'm finding that there are so many people who are non-Christian or maybe Christian, they're leaning towards more of that political left persuasion. And uh, what I'm finding is if I, as someone who's grown up conservative, try to talk to a non-Christian, but I'm trying to convert them to right-wing Republicanism, it's, I'm not going to be able to reach them with Jesus. Like that, they shut down. If in my mind, I'm thinking, I have to save them and make them a Republican first and then a Christian second. Does that kind of make sense? Like, I, I feel like um, that's, that's the apologetics mindset a lot of people are in is I need to convince them first that their liberalism is wrong and then I can reach them with the gospel. But I feel like a lot of times we maybe get that backwards. Yeah, there's a lot that you I mean, there's a lot that you're saying in there that, that, that kind of I think requires like some thought to or some statement to let me let me try to like I, I had so many thoughts now that you said that <laughs> I'm so, so sorry I, like, I I tend to go on run on no 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 no, no, so. no no you did good it was like I just it was like yes yes I, I'm totally in agreement with so much let's start with the idea of like like you mentioned there at the very end and I, I want to mention it before I forget it myself you know the apologetics has been the approach that many people have taken to connect to people who think live believe differently than them and what i mean by that is this we've taken the approach of an apologetics is just the you know it's the defense of the faith towards those who think live believe differently right so yeah. i'm mormon and an and a, and, and a christian's going to take the apologetics approach of here's what the bible says and here's how mormonism is incompatible with christianity right and so it's really helpful right 
right? And the Bible tells us to have a, um, to be able to give an answer to anybody who asks. But yeah. Yeah. I think that there is a point when we have to consider this, that the apologetic as an approach to connecting to people is probably not the best. Right. Because it focuses on information. I have information about your faith that I believe proves that you're wrong. Mm. And that's not a that's not that's not really a relational approach to connecting to another person. Yeah. Now again, and I want to think of this from the like if I could use the words macro and micro. Yeah. Macro yeah. being macro, this like big, big perspective of like, well, Mormons around the world need to know what Christianity says. I totally agree with that. But let's be honest, most of your listeners and most of us, we're never going to be in the macro position. Like we're not changing, you know, policy for world religion. What we're doing (laughs) is we're talking to people who we know, like local, like friends or neighbors or parents whose kids play on the same soccer team as our kids. So I think we often get trained in how to handle things from a macro perspective when we really need to have it on a micro perspective. How do I make a friend with this person who lives, believes, and thinks differently than I do? Yeah. And apologetics as an approach may not be the best approach. Yeah. I would suggest what I'm talking about is a cultural approach. Yes. I'm going to, and we see it all over the Gospels. We see Jesus engage with people on a more cultural level. Yes. You know, um, meeting with a woman at the well or connecting to people, you know, even like, you know, connecting to somebody who was hurting or, or, or had a physical ailment or illness or disease or, you know, meeting people in the synagogue and connecting to them on that cultural level. I think that we have to connect to people from where they are, not based on information, but based on relationship. Yes. And once we do that, then other doors open up. Yes. Um, yes. And so I, I would say that. So now let me take that into what you're just talking about. You know, we're talking about the whole left versus right. I would also say this left and right, liberal and conservative, Republican, Democrat, these are constructs. These are worldly constructs. Yes. And that doesn't mean they're evil. I, I think we use the word worldly in a lot of churches, <laughs> being like evil and gross, but like yes. worldly, <laughs> worldly just means like it's not from God. Right. Secular. And not everything that is not from God is like all evil. I mean, like God made bunnies, you know, I mean, it's like the bunnies and rainbows and butterflies. They're fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's God, not, God didn't invent nachos, but we can still enjoy yeah, them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or, or tacos or, you know, exactly. So, right. So we can't think of it in terms of like, so when I say worldly, I'm not necessarily thinking of evil. I'm just thinking of hmm, yeah. the fact that it, it may not, it doesn't come from God. So what's happened is we, the church in America, we have grabbed on to issues and values and we've made that somehow like that's become too important for us. Yes. If I could say those words. No, that's so, so true. So true. So what we should be doing is like, and I literally was just speaking to Christians about this, um, this very subject is that God did not save us to be values or issues driven, hmm. but that we would see that we are valued by him hmm. and that he values the world and we should value people like God values people. Hmm. So I think we need to get away from values as a, as a plural, as a plural and focus on that. We are valued by God. Yes. And I think that's very different because you see, if, if I'm trying to, and then this was the, this was the final issue that I would like, that's why I said, there's so many different things that you, you, you brought <laughs> up. It's so good, but here's the final one that I would mention in this. And then if you want to, we can, we can unpack these things a little bit hmm. if necessary, but 
I would say that Christians have to decide what do they want to be known for? Yes. If I want to be known for values, then it makes sense. You know, you're probably going to lean more towards a conservative approach, but but Christians should know this. When you say you're conservative, that doesn't mean the same thing to everybody that it might mean to you. Right. Definitions definitions are super important. Hmm. And so a conservative in Germany is not the same as a conservative in Alabama is not the same thing as a conservative <laughs> in Ethiopia. Right. We have to know that like, or like a liberal, what, what is a liberal? Like that's, that those definitions need to be, you have to have those things defined. Otherwise we run the risk of generalizing people and not yes. understanding what is really, what they really mean by that. So, so with that, I would say, you know, we need to have a very clear understanding of you know, maybe we need to decide I'm not going to be identified by the labels that the world has created one. And I'm not going to be identified by labels that have changed. What was a liberal in 1920 is not what a liberal is in 2020. Yes. Very true. (laughs) So it's not, it's not fair to use these words and then to be identified by them. In fact, I would say with all the problems we're having right now, all the racial tensions that we're struggling with, it's not fair when Christians say, I identify as a as this way, because mm-hmm. people that don't identify that way might see you as being against them when that's never what you meant to say in the first place. That, yeah, so that is so true. We should probably decide what matters to me the most. And I, t- I would say this, you know, Jesus said, like, well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I could modernize that verse a little bit, not changing it, but just modernize it, out of the abundance of your social media. <laughs> <laughs> so what you put up and what you post and what you talk about, that's what you care about. It's yes. obviously within your heart. Yes. I would suggest to Christians, if you really want to be about the gospel, then be careful the labels that you identify with. It may not, it might be important, but it's not eternal. Yes. It might be valuable, but it won't last forever. Choose to be about the gospel, which means you let these values and issues take a back seat. Hmm. That's good. That's really, really good, Phil. Yeah, I I resonate so much with everything you're saying. I think we're talking about being cultural missionaries and what that looks like. And, you know, for me, the way it's played out in my life has been, there's this position that I've taken, which was more covert up until just a few months ago. You know, I've kind of held this for four or five years or or so. But this this position that I've recently kind of come out with is, I don't, as a Christian, identify with either side of our American political spectrum. I don't call myself a liberal. I don't call myself a conservative. That was something that when I was a youth pastor, I was kind of more scared to admit. But it's something that I found is effective for cultural ministry because I feel like when, you know, I mean, you and I, the circles that we run in, most people identify as conservative there are many Christians out there who identify as liberal. I would say that both sides of that coin can put you in a compromising position where instead of being an apologist for Jesus, instead of being someone who defends or proclaims Jesus, you find yourself more so being an apologist for the Republican Party or the Democrat Party or defending Trump or defending Biden or you know making excuses for either one and uh, not trying to defend and uplift the gospel. And I think you're so key with what you're saying about out of social media, the, the, the heart speaks, right? The mouth speaks. I was just the other day talking to my wife and some friends about this saying, man, it's crazy to me that when I go on Christian Facebook and Christian Twitter, 
I see far more political discussion happening than I see gospel discussion happening. I just like it, it, it's so outweighed. Like the, I see people posting political opinions, political debates, political rants far more than I see people sharing their testimony, uh, talking about the good things that Jesus has done in their life, preaching the gospel simply and plainly for everyone to see that, that platform. I don't think people realize we, we, me and my co-host, Brian, we just did an episode about this last week on the importance of social media. People don't realize this platform is how the world sees us as Christians. Like this is our open facing public square where we're sharing our views and beliefs on things. And I was talking to a group of non-Christian friends. I try to actually keep little pockets of friendships that I have that are non-Christians going. And so I've got this Facebook group that I'm a part of where it's people I knew way back, you know, 15 years ago, we're still friends. And I'm really one of the only Christians in that group. And uh, I asked them, how do you guys based on social media during all this stuff going on, the pandemic and racial, you know, tensions, how do you guys see Christians? And they were just like, yeah, Christians just seem very argumentative and obsessed with politics and obsessed with being right. It doesn't seem like they really care about spreading the gospel. It just seems like they, they care about spreading their their assertions that they're right about things. And, and so that was really discouraging. And so that's something that I think is important that we fight against is that tendency that we have to, as Christians on social media, be more about our preferences and our, our, the ways that we lean than we are about the gospel or, or being missionaries in the culture, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of people, you know, the whole, the whole concept of social media is still not understood by most people. Hmm. It's, it's like, oh, this is my own personal like network. This is my own, you know, like it's almost like a glorified email or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm yes. having this conversation with my friends and it's like, you know, a lot of that is like the ignorance of not understanding the power of social media and how it can be used. So hmm. I kind of have grace for people in some ways that they like don't understand mm. social media, but boy, at this point, they really need to. <laughs> yeah, need to. absolutely. You know, something that you said reminded me about a book I was reading. I can't remember the title of the book, but it was talking about Christians uh, being cultural missionaries kind of in that political spectrum. And it was talking about how as Christians, we get it in our heads, whether you're an American Christian who leans left or right, you know, we think to be saved, you have to be either conservative or, you know, there's some Christians. This is the thing that most Calvary people don't realize is just as we've kind of grown up hearing to be saved, you have to be conservative. There's actually a whole nother group of Christians out there who hate the conservative mindset and they think to be saved, you have to be liberal. So either way, you know, I would say that those viewpoints are wrong. And the author of the book points out, if you as a missionary go to Russia and you meet somebody who's a liberal socialist Russian guy and you preach the gospel to him and he gets saved, he does not instantly then become a conservative capitalist. Like he's still what he was, but now the gospel is able to reach him and work on him. And that, that just really struck me because it was pointing out that, you know, a lot of times we put the cart before the, the horse. We need to reach people with the gospel and then let the Holy Spirit do the work of changing people to be more conformed to his image. It's not about getting in there and 
and blowing up their entire worldview and proving to them that they're foolish. It's, it's just simply, we need to get Jesus into this person and then watch what Jesus does. Well, nobody, nobody came to Christ who was good. Yeah. Like there's none that are righteous, not even, not even one person. So we believe that the gospel is that power of God that transforms a life for eternity. Hmm. And that's the process of like, it happens in a moment that God can save a person, but then he's now working on us and, and, and changing us and transforming us. And to think that like people need to be where I am after 25, 30 years of being a Christian is just, it, it's silly. Yeah, um, right. We have to let people be where they are. And I also have to take a step back and say, I am not the Holy Spirit. God mm. is working in people's lives. That's the beauty. Like when I when I try to convince people of behavioral change as being necessary for Christianity, then they will only change as much as I've called them to change. Mm. But what or or they will not change because I asked them to change. But what if I let the Holy Spirit do his work in their life? If someone's been born again, then we can trust that God is in their life and he will lead and he will work. Yes. Yeah. So good. And and I think we see that play out right there in the Gospels because there, there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes of the Gospels that a lot of times when you're just reading it at surface levels, you don't see. But if you think about the political narrative happening in the Gospel, the disciples, right, the 12 disciples, many of them would probably politically align with the zealot movement, wouldn't you right. say? So, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to fight the power, fight the government. They're, they're hoping that Jesus is going to overthrow the government and, and take over Rome, right? Defeat Rome and take Israel back and make Israel great again. And I think uh, it's interesting to see that even though they are following Jesus, we're constantly seeing those 12 guys mess up and make mistakes and misjudge the situation, misjudge Jesus's heart and his intentions. You know, there's several times where it's like, Jesus, when are you going to rise up and, and overthrow? Or, you know, Peter's cutting off the ear of the servant in the garden, you know, and uh, he's just not getting what Jesus is throwing down as far as his teachings and, and ethics and all that. And I, I think that the 12 disciples give us that clear example that getting saved does not mean that you get it right. Like you get Jesus, but you still have a lifetime of him correcting you and, and steering you in the right direction and away from your own foolishness. And I mean, even, even years later, you know, Paul withstood Peter because mm. he, he was incorrect, you know, Years, years later, Paul, Peter's been walking with the Lord for a long time. He's had mm. the Holy Spirit's been working in his life. And yet when he was in the region of Galatia, they had this big kind of like, like kind of standoff, you know, where. About the Gentiles, right? Yeah. Peter was not walking in the grace of God and Paul had to say something about it. So being a Christian doesn't make us right. Mm. You know, we're still struggling. We're still wrestling through those things. Mm. That's good. Can you give us sort of a, a teaser, right? A preview of some of the discussions that you're going to be having in this podcast. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for asking. So with everything that's been happening in, you know, we're, we're right now, it's 2020. This is like the craziest year on record. Worst year. But, yeah, worst year ever. Like <laughs> I, I, I kind of keep describing it like, you know, COVID happened and the world got locked down hmm. and then racial tensions through like Ahmaud Arbery's death, George Floyd's death, the world blew up. Yeah. So it's like we got locked down and then we got blown up, you know, and 
So we decided, I decided that this first season, I'm trying to do them kind of in like seasons. This first season of Crossing Cultures podcast is going to be focused on Christianity, culture, and race. Mm, So I sit down with a, well, I'll give you a few of the, uh, a few of the topics that we're going to talk about. I'm sitting down primarily with a buddy of mine. He's a guy in our church. His name is Nick Roach. He played linebacker for the Chicago Bears and the Oakland Raiders. Oh, wow. And he's a member of our, he's a part of our church and just a good buddy. And um, him and I sit down and kind of work through issues that we hear, you know, people talking about, and we try to do it with a gospel context. So... For instance, we do a whole episode on white privilege. Mm. And what does that mean? Man, I'm telling you, the minute you say that those two words together and and boy, you get a lot of people upset. Oh yeah, I mean I I know a guy who's a pastor of a church and he's got people leaving his church because he he dared to even mention the subject. I mean, it's it's like if you mention it, you're you're yeah, you must be just a liberal marxist. Yeah. It's the unforgivable sin of white evangelicalism right now is to mention the even the idea of white privilege. Yeah, it's it's a really and and I'd like to uh, maybe we could talk about that in just a second. Yeah. But um that's one of our topics. We we have a whole episode on listening and what does it mean to learn to listen? And so, you know, we're going to have like we have race discussions right now for many people, the very concept makes them shut down from even listening. And a part of like cultural engagement is learning to listen without already coming to conclusions. Hmm. So I want to hear people as I want to listen to them. You know, a lot of what happens right now and so much of what's happening within the social media world, social media is meant for pictures of grandkids and kittens, not for <laughs> you know, actual like conversation. Because, you know, I think I think though, in real life, what what should be happening is that we we learn to listen to each other. What tends to happen is I hear you and I can't wait till you finish talking so that I can say what I want to say. <laughs> yeah. And so we're not listening. So we do a whole episode on listening. We do what does it mean to love your neighbor? And um, I sit down. So we 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 actually it's not just the two of us. We in, we invited other people on who are kind of like experts in their field and ask them to give us their thoughts on on these subjects and on these topics. So hmm. so that was really exciting. I also did an episode where I sat down with um, via Zoom with two of our black pastors who are a part of Calvary Chapel. Oh, wow. The, the movement that I'm a part of. Was one of and, them Tony Clark? Yeah, I sat down with Bill Buffington and Tony Clark. Okay, that's awesome. And, and the reason I did is I know they've been making the rounds, you know, and doing the circuit and all, but my focus was specific to this. I wanted them to answer hard questions on what is it like to be a black pastor in a white church movement? Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's something that I don't understand, but I'm very thankful that we have guys who can help us learn about that. Yeah. And it was, it was incredibly informative and we just had a very raw, honest, it's going to be two episodes on, you know, one, what is it like to be a pastor in that? And then two, what are some of the obstacles you've been facing or that you face as a as an African American pastor? What are the obstacles you're facing? And you know, I think that if 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 people could watch or listen to these with a, a true listening approach, it would really benefit them. That's great. So kind of just unpack all I mean, I do we do two episodes on um, Jamar Tisby's The Color of Compromise book. Mm. And so like, what does it look like to when all of a sudden you realize some of what I've learned historically isn't accurate to the, to what actually happened. Right. And so if that's the case, is it okay for me to like, I don't have to throw everything out, but is it, is it okay for me to have a humble approach and say, okay, I'm willing to learn in areas that maybe I thought I knew, but I probably didn't know very well. Yeah, that's great. 
That's really, really good. Those are some of the topics that we're going to be, like I said, it's going to be about 10 episodes for this first season. Beyond that, I'm going to do some of the other seasons that I'm going to focus on. I'd like to do a political, like episodes on just like politics and Mm. the cultural engagement of right and left, liberal, conservative, those kinds of things. Another season that I want to focus on is the LGBTQ community. Mm. How do we engage with people? How do we create connections with those who live, believe, and think differently than us? So I'm planning on sitting down with like the the charter, you know, the head of the charter here in San Diego with the LGBTQ community and just have a conversation. This is our preconceived ideas of Christianity that he might say. And and then I can speak to those preconceived ideas of that Christians have towards the gay community. How do we make connection? We're made in the image of God. What are ways that we can connect uh, rather than, you know, it's okay to disagree, but yes. we can do it in a way that is respectful and honest. And I don't have to compromise the gospel to make friends and to connect to them that way. Yeah. That's man, that's so important. And and I feel like it's something that is going to be so helpful. The, those topics sound so good. Like this is a show that I'm definitely going to be listening to. It, it may surprise some people who listen to the Good Lion Network, but I, I do not personally listen to every single episode of every show that comes <laughs> out. Cause we you have, yeah, we've got like 30 shows. So, you know, I, I vet them and I make sure that the ones coming in, they, they fit what we're doing, but yeah, I don't listen to every episode, but with what you're doing, it's a show where I want to listen to every episode. And then that's, that's, awesome. that's not just like a shameless plug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Phil's not paying I'll me. I'll take it. Um, Thank you. <laughs> it, it's a topic that I'm, I'm genuinely interested in because I, I feel like you're, you're touching on something that is huge and that is the importance of keeping the line of conversation open with people that you might even disagree with. So, you know, for me, going back to what I was saying, I'm somebody where I feel personally called, um, kind of in an age where I'm, especially during an election, I'm hearing a lot of people saying, if you're a Christian, your calling is to really just represent the conservative side. Or, you know, if you're a Christian, man, you got to really rep the, the liberal side because of what Trump is doing and all this stuff. And, and for me, I actually feel called to kind of stand in the gap and say, how can I, how can I love people on both sides of this issue and try to point them away from obsessions with, you know, political allegiances and, and to get people to focus on the kingdom of God and to realize that somebody who leans more left or more right can actually sit in the same circle and serve Jesus together. Just like, you know, Jesus brought Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector together. Those were, you know, two guys that were politically very opposed in Jesus's time. And yet they were a part of the 12 serving together. And, you know, one thing I've seen in my life is, so I've got conversations that are open, ongoing conversations that are going usually through text threads, or social media chats with friends that I've known for years. And I've got some friends that are much more conservative and then friends that are much more liberal, but I'm, I'm able to talk to these people and love them. And they know where I stand on things, you know, like my liberal friend, I'm thinking of this one guy in particular, he knows where I stand on abortion. Like he, he knows that I'm, I'm pro-life. Like I believe that it's a very important thing that we fight for the rights of the unborn And he's very left wing, but we respect one another. We have conversations and I'm not trying to bash him over the head with what I believe. And he's not trying to bash me over the head 
we're able to have these respectful conversations. And at times we disagree, but we do it respectfully. You know, I can think of another person I know of who's a, a young person who's struggling with some of the more LGBT issues, but we've been able to have these ongoing long conversations that are respectful, even though we disagree about things fundamentally on, and on many issues. And so I think I think that's so important because so often what we're used to is people just writing us off, right? Like if, if we're Christian, we're used to atheists just writing us off. If you're gay, you're probably used to Christians just writing you off and not giving you the time of day. I think we need to break through that and be willing to actually have these conversations with people. And I, I think I would say it even that puts us kind of in the defense of we feel written off. But the truth of the matter is that we have to look historically and even just kind of present day as Christians, we've been the ones to write other people off. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, like if we really believe that that the the living eternal God dwells in us because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we really believe that, then we need to be the bigger people in social engagement and cultural engagement. Yeah. Like if, if I really believe that, then I have a secured identity because I'm in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing anyone can say or do. There's no law that will be passed. There's no agenda that will be pushed forward that is going to upset the balance of my relationship with God and my eternity with him forever. If I have an eternal security in Christ, then I don't need to let other people's fight put me on the defense. <laughs> right. Yes. I don't have to be on the defense. So I have to recognize that like historically, we've been the whether we feel it or not, people who have been disenfranchised, like the LGBTQ community or any anyone, they feel like the church is against them. That's the baseline that we come into conversations into. Yeah. We're not starting on the baseline of, oh, we think Christianity is neutral. They most people believe Christianity is an enemy to their worldview or to their lifestyle. Yeah. And so we can't approach this from the defensive approach. Otherwise, we're just going to we're going to lose them. Yeah. We have to start with like I understand. I don't have to agree with you, but I understand that you have been hurt by Christian ideology or Christian verbiage or yes. or Christian teaching. It's, I get it. Let me help deconstruct those negative experiences that you've had so that you, because I am embarrassed sometimes by the church. I'm embarrassed by our history. I'm embarrassed by me sometimes. Yeah. I've never Amen. been embarrassed about Jesus. Never. Yes. That's so good. Yeah. No, I, I remember four or five years ago, I was at a car wash and there was a group of teenagers and I was a youth pastor at the time. So I just, I felt compelled to go and sit down and talk with them. And we just started about talking about Christianity and Jesus and just they started going around the circle and they all started just kind of just railing their accusations against the church. And man, I was at a church and this is how they hurt me. This is how I was abused at a church. This is how I was let down by people at a church. Like they all had issues with the church. And I there's a tendency when Christians confront that to go into defensive mode and to start talking right. about like, oh, well, how dare you accuse the church? Did you know we were responsible for all these great things throughout history? Did you know the gospel is amazing? Like, did you know you're a sinner for not believing it? But I just, my heart feels in those moments with compassion. And in that moment with those students, I just started going around saying, listen, I am, I'm somebody who works at a church. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'm so sorry you went through that. Yes, what you're saying, that does happen sometimes. Yes, there's abuses of power. Yes, there's corruption. But let me tell you about Jesus because he's the one that we're supposed to be following and he's not involved in any of that. He's never been corrupt. He's ne it's, 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 it's not him. It Don't let these bad 
Christians, these people who call themselves Christians, who've done these things to you, don't let them reflect back on who Jesus actually is. And I found those conversations to be so productive when we don't go into defensive mode, but instead we're willing to admit the faults that have happened throughout history and Christianity, but then we're not compromising on pointing people to Jesus, who is the perfect one, if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. That's a good way of describing it. I love that. I think it's something that we need to fight for. Like we need to fight for having these conversations and just, just being open with people. Cause I, and I, and I think too, like, I think what hap- what's happened in a lot of circles is like, there are Christians that are willing to kind of start doing what you're expressing. And then they can tend to swing the pendulum towards like being anti-Christian or anti-church. Yes. Like yes. as if like being against Christians is a way to like, it's kind of like, if you think of it in the political world, I don't like to hear an opposing politician only bash on the current politician because that doesn't tell me what they think. That just tells me what they don't like. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes we as Christians can do that too, right? Where we like, oh, I agree with you. Those Christians suck. Oh, they're lame. They're terrible. But that doesn't, that doesn't put Jesus in a good light. Right. And, uh, you know, because even if I disagree with many other Christians, I'm thankful that they know the Lord, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't want any, like, like I, those people are not my enemy either. I think that's the real issue here is that we don't have enemies except for the devil. Yes. <laughs> and, and beside him, we have only, only friends or people who need to know Christ. Like there's no, they're not my enemy. Yeah, that's so true. The, the, the enemy is the enemy. It's the, the true enemy. As, as Paul says, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, right? We wrestle with the powers of darkness that are behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, pe- exactly. People aren't the enemy. They're victims of the true enemy. And, and so I think, I think it's very important that we have that mentality, right? Because that is a huge thing in the world right now. It's this idea, like deconstruction is so popular. You know, there's, I grew up hearing stories of testimonies, but right now the hot thing is uh, the deconversion testimonies, right? People, have you heard this? Like people talking about how they came out of Christianity and it's this celebrated thing where people are like, yeah, I used to be a Christian, but then I saw the light. Then I got out of that abusive uh, corrupt, you know, cultish system that that's a huge thing in culture right now on social media. It's young people kind of celebrating how they've left the faith. And I think we need to be aware of that as cultural missionaries that right now there is this stigma against Christianity because people are focusing on the negative things that have happened in the church. So for us, we need to, I think, go above and beyond and pointing them to the truth of Jesus and what the church is actually supposed to be instead of trying to be defensive. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like any, any topic right now, obviously, you know, this isn't new that people have been leaving their Christian faith. This has been, you know, this has always been the story. It's just that again, we have more access to a global perspective. We get to see people's feeds and stories and in ways that we never did before. Hmm. And, and that's, it's both positive and negative, but it's (laughs) almost like right now, like can, is the gospel strong enough to withstand the current cultural flow of the world? And the answer is 100% yes, Yes. but it's not going to happen by us just holding on to old methods, past methods. We need to hold on to past principles and truths but we need to keep engaging people in new methods and new ways. That's good. Let me let me pivot over back to something you were talking about. I, if I could pick your brain on the whole uh, white privilege thing and just some of your overall thoughts on on the race conversation, would that would that be okay? Sure, of course. So obviously we're two white guys sitting around talking <laughs> about it. So I don't know how far this can go or be helpful. But my my question would be. 
I guess so I want to if I if I could step into the shoes and pretend to be somebody who gets really flustered when they hear the white privilege uh, phrasing can I can I kind of assume the role of that person and kind of sure. ask ask you the questions that they would ask but maybe with a little less anger and frustration you know I I <laughs> For, for the people listening, I know that there's lots of different types of people that listen to this show. So I don't want to just speak from our perspective, because I would assume you and I are on similar wavelengths with this. But yeah, I just want to represent all the perspectives I can. So here would be the question. So like, Phil, when I hear the words white privilege, it makes me feel this is an imaginary person saying this, but it makes me feel like what you're saying is that all Christians are racist. And it makes me uh, feel like you're saying all white people are racist and that every single white person has an advantage. Well, what about me? Like I, I worked hard. You know, my dad owned a gas station and we barely made any money. And my mom worked three jobs and I've always been disadvantaged. I've always had to fight for what I have. And, you know, I've struggled to start my business. And, you know, I, I've never had white privilege. I've never had any privilege. So, you know, what, what do you say to people who I feel like very genuinely have these questions when they hear the, the, the language of white privilege, it, it flusters them because they feel like they're being accused of something that they don't actually have. Right. And like you said, I think, you know, there's people out there that are doing a better job at expressing the heart of these real important issues than I'll be able to do. And so I'll kind of answer that, but then I'll, maybe I'll take it in a little bit of a different direction yeah. in a, Go from for a cultural it. perspective. But, but I would start by saying like, yeah, we have to remember that like the, uh, the very notion of white privilege does not negate that all people, that, mo that everybody has suffering mm -hmm. and everybody has difficulties and everybody, mm -hmm. like just the color of your skin does not dictate that your life has been good. No more than it always dictates that your life has been bad. The phrase, the statement of white privilege really speaks more about the idea of the systemic nature of being a part of a majority race creates privileges by the nature of being more. So like, you know, if eight out of 10 of you are, you know, the same thing, the same, then your views, your your perspective, your likes, your dislikes are going to be the majority. Hmm. And so that's just the way life works. I would say to the person who's like, I don't, it's, are you saying that all, that all white people are racist? What I would suggest to your listeners is that we not think right away. We, we tend to jump right to the issue of we're all racists yeah. and, or, or I'm not a racist. And if you're a racist, then you need to, you know, CGN put out a thing on race mm -hmm. and uh, ra against racism and boy, oh boy, the attacks of you guys are Marxists. I love the phrase Mark. I love how people throw Marxist around. That's interesting. But, but not only that, but if you need to apologize for your racist views, do it, but don't put that on me. <laughs> yeah. And the very, the very idea of that is, is I, I want to hear where people are feeling defensive. So let me, I'm going to try to be as gentle as I can. Yeah. It's not my yeah. forte, but I'll try to be as gentle as I can on this. <laughs> how do we, how do we help somebody who's like, I don't put your racist views on me. I think we need to pull back a little bit. And this is where my focus has been for many years as a cross-cultural kind of communicator or like my engagement has been in cross-culturalism. It's where I've focused my education. It's where I focused my passion. Um, it was my mission experiences on cross-cultural 
engagement. And we use a word in cross-culturalism. It's the word ethnocentrism. It's a big word. There will not be a test at the end of this podcast. But <laughs> the, the word ethnocentrism, it means it's where my, my experience becomes the baseline for how I judge everything else. So I like vanilla ice cream and I grew up with, I'm just making something up and I grew up with vanilla ice cream. And so anybody who doesn't like vanilla ice cream to me is, is strange. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Because that's my, that's like, so I grew up in Orange County, California, and that culture is the normal. So when I go anywhere else, that's different. Now, ethnocentrism has three different ways that it can manifest itself. Again, there's not going to be a test, but I think it's important for people to understand. There's three different ways. One of those is just a very simple kind of, we call it tacit ethnocentrism. So you and I are both from Southern California and you are now living in a different part of America and they eat that are different. They, They have different cultural expectations. You could like tacitly, just basically, you could say, oh man, that's different. It doesn't mean you're judging it. It just means it's different. You're acknowledging that their experiences are different than yours. That's ethnocentrism. Yes. There's another type of that. Another type of that is where not only do I acknowledge that their views are different, but I think that their views are wrong. Hmm. That's a more aggressive form of ethnocentrism. Hmm. Then there's a third view, and it's what we call xenophobia. It's the idea, and this is where racism comes from. So the way I describe it in my my podcast on, 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 on privilege is that ethnocentrism is the precursor to racism. Mm. So all racists are ethnocentric, but not everybody who is ethnocentric is directly racist. Mm. And this is important because I might hold views. So I would say to the person in your, like the person who says, how can you, are you saying that we're all racist? What I'm saying is that we're all ethnocentric. Mm. We lean towards our own comfort, our own cultural comfort zone. Yeah. And so now we are being asked to consider minority cultural comforts. We're being asked to, so if we're 80% and I'm making up a number, if we're 75% of a population, whatever that number might be. The majority, uh, right. The majority, our, what is comfortable to us is what's going to be pushed through in policies and in laws and in social constructs all over this country, it's just that would make perfect sense. Yeah. But a healthy society acknowledges that there are other cultures represented. And rather than forcing them to think just like I do, I'm going to let them think and believe and live the way they do. And we're going to integrate that into a part of our society. Right. So that if I if if my culture has been dominating over another person's culture, you can call that racist and for and, and, and systemically that is racism. But I don't want to accuse everybody. You're all just a bunch of white racists. I think what we can acknowledge is, hold on, our privilege is that we have been in a situation where our views have dominated. Right. Now, in America, that has had very negative impact. We didn't, it's not just that we dominated like we were more, we actually enslaved people. Right. We, we took human beings made in the image of God and we sold them as property. Yeah. Now, yeah. I know somebody's going to say, oh, that happened 400 years ago. Let me give just a little bit of my own European experience. World wars began on thousand-year-old grudges. Mm. You have to understand that people have a short memory, but people groups have long memories. Mm. Yeah. It's really important. So if you were to go up to a black friend and say, how does 
slavery impact your life today, they're probably not going to say it's it's driving and dictating every part of my life. Right. They may, but they probably won't. But as a people group, as a, as a as a cultural group, it has deeply impacted the culture of African Americans in this country. Yeah, um, absolutely. And we can't say, oh, it's only been four hundred years, or it's 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 already been four hundred years because people groups have long memories. Mm. So, so back to your point then about or the the question as a you know privilege exists, and and within cross culturalism, we talk about privilege all the time. Well, can, can I ask a a quick question on that. Yeah. So we, we're, we're so hyper-focused often on white privilege, right? In the American right. context and discussion on race, you've spent years on the mission field. Can you just give us like a practical example of what privilege looks like maybe in the Hungarian context as a missionary? Did you experience things where, you know, you were underprivileged as a minority in another country? Well, I would say I, I can give examples in quite, in quite the opposite. And here's, Here's what I mean. Hmm. I go over as an American and just by the very nature of being an American, I'm listened to. Hmm. I'm heard. I'm heard because I'm coming from a different cultural context. The same, the same message could be preached by a Hungarian, but there was times when it would be easily received by an American and not easily received by a Hungarian. Yeah, we, we experienced that when we took our Calvary Christian School missions trip to Russia. We were definitely listened to because we were a bunch of Americans. You and, know? And, and let's think about that. That does not, listen, here's the problem. People are hearing privilege and they're thinking, don't say I have privilege. Hold on. That word has always been a positive. Yeah. It's, it means privilege, but it's how we utilize privilege that really makes the difference. So right. as an American living in Hungary, I had to understand that people are going to listen to me and follow what I'm saying. It might not always be because of the gospel. It might be because of my cultural background. Right. And I need to be very aware of that so that yeah. I don't, I don't um, mismanage it's what we call, again, in cross-cultural, we call it power dynamics. Mm. I have to understand that I have, you know, everybody has power, and I have to understand that I have a certain amount of power coming from America. It's not because I'm white, it's because I'm American. Yeah. I'll give another example. One of my best friends is a pastor in Nigeria. He's a Nigerian brother, and he started churches there. And I've gone over many times to be with him and encourage the churches and just the very nature of me being an American, there's this like, I'm going to listen to you. There's a power dynamic. And I have to be aware of that. Hmm. You know, and let me put this into the into the, into a scriptural context. The Bible tells us that God became one of us. Hmm. There's no one who had more power than, than Jesus. No one. But he laid that down, Philippians tells me. Philippians says that he became of no of no re- repute. Right? He gave it up so that um, he could reach me and you with the message of the gospel, with, with what he accomplished on a cross. So he didn't lose his power, but he, he laid that down so that he could connect to you and to me. And that's what it means. That's what privilege looks like. It doesn't mean that I sit there and apologize. Oh, I'm sorry that I have privilege. I can't change the fact that I have privilege in certain right. contexts. Or even apologizing for the color of your skin. No, and I can't apologize for being a white dude. I mean... What I can do is, and, and here's the other thing about apologizing. It's an interesting thing. Daniel 9 shows us that I can apologize even if I myself didn't do the thing that I'm apologizing for. Can you break down what happens in that verse section? Yeah. In Daniel chapter 9, we read about Daniel repenting to God for the sins of the nation of Israel. Hmm. And yeah. he's repenting for sins that he himself were not a part of. Yeah. In fact, he was enslaved in Babylon for the very sins that he's now apologizing for the nation for. So 
Daniel's apologizing for their their sin, their guilt before God, their their wickedness. He's apologizing. And I think it reminds us that you and I can apologize. Not it's not me saying I have personally done this, though I may be guilty of those things. I don't want to give myself an out. But I'm apologizing. Like when I'm talking to my buddy Nick and we're talking about race issues, and he's saying, Man, my I grew up in Kenosha. I grew up right near where, where Jacob Blake was shot seven mm. times. Yeah. And I can say to him, dude, I am so sorry. Yeah. Now when I say that, I'm not personally apologizing for what happened. I, I can't change that. Right. I'm not personally apologizing. I'm not apologizing for all white people. That's not what he's asking. Mm. I'm what I'm saying when I apologize is I'm just saying, dude, that sucks and I'm sorry for your hurt right now. Yeah. I'm sorry yeah. that you're hurting right now. And yeah. I think we're misunderstanding what it means to apologize. It doesn't mean that I'm taking responsibility personally, like I could change that. What I am doing is saying, I'm so sorry for the experiences that you're currently having. That's really good. I want to zero in on the whole apology thing for a second, because I'm not an expert on this at all. I'm just a guy who's been observing it and trying to figure it out, to be honest, because I've been grieved. And I'm sure most people in pastoral ministry have been just grieved with what's been going on and just the, the reactions of people. But I'm seeing this mentality in a lot of Christians. It's this mentality of never apologize. And it's this idea that if you offer up any apology, then you are bowing uh, to the liberal mob. This is an idea that's been perpetuated by, you know, conservative pundits, not pastors leading from a scriptural mindset, but just this very, this very hyper political mindset of you can never give in. You can never like it, it's all so polarized to the point where any apology is seen as cowardice and, and bowing down to this idea of the mob and letting the liberal mob win. But I think you're hitting the nail on the head on the reality of apologizing for the sins of a nation is something that we see biblical precedent for. And I think it's interesting. We're in a moment where if, if president Trump were to get up and make a, an apology for the sin of abortion in America, right? I, I think that would be well received. I think most conservative Christians would be like, yes, this is a long time coming. He's saying it like our nation has been complicit in this. Like this is, this is good that he's getting it out there. If a, if a pastor made a public um, announcement or apology of like our, our church wants to stand up and say, we are grieved and we're sorry for our nation's involvement in abortion or some other kind of, you know, topic that is safe in the conservative circles. I, I think that would be well received. And I think that have biblical precedent. But if you start making apologies for racism, which is something that we literally fought a war over, it's seen as, oh, you're just, you're just giving in. You're, you're just, you know, giving in to the demands of the liberal mob. And it's just so strange to me that, that we have that dichotomy. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're hitting it on the head here. I would say, you know, I would even start by, and something that Bill Buffington brought up in the, in, in our podcast, when it comes out, he talked about how it seems like Christians are aligning with people. Like you mentioned, it's interesting how Christians will align with a person's views because they match their views, even if that person is not a Christian. And then they won't listen to some Christians who are saying, no, it's not that way. For instance, I'll give you an example. Here's a Bill Buffington and a Tony Clark, two black men and black pastors um, who are Bible teaching pastors who have been faithful men for decades. Right. And they're saying, man, racism is still very much alive and it's a real problem. And there is things like privilege and we do need to learn to, you know, have better communication and connections between 
you know, white and black. And yet they're, they're, they're discredited because they're saying those words because that aligns with a liberal view to many Christians. And then those same Christians will align themselves with people who are not believers, who are espousing the same conservative view. So it's back to where we started. We have to be so careful that we don't become views and issues based, but stay gospel centered. And um, I mean, that that's really what we're seeing in the political idolatry on both sides. Because if Jesus himself showed up today, there would be things that he would say and speak into our cultural context where conservative Christians would listen to him and say, well, that doesn't line up with you know what Bill O'Reilly said. That doesn't line up with uh, what Tucker Carlson said. So I'm not going to believe you, Jesus. And then by the same token, there would be liberal Christians who would be like, what are you saying about sexuality and marriage, Jesus? Like, what what are you saying about authority? Like, no, like the, no, like I, I don't agree with you. I, and so we would definitely see people who even now have the title of Christian, they call themselves Christian, but if Jesus was in the flesh, they wouldn't be on the same page with him. And, and I think that's where we need to have humility in realizing, and I'm talking about myself here, I need to have humility and realize there is no secular political system that fully lines up with the kingdom of God and Jesus. And so for me to claim that I have it all figured out is really short-sighted and, and misguided. I need to constantly be going to the scriptures and Jesus and saying, conform me to you and, and your leadership and your guidance. And, and I don't want to be more left or more right. I want to be more like Jesus, if, if that makes sense. You know, like, uh, think of it like in the, think of it in the context of like, there's no, there's no, what is the word I'm looking for? Like, historically, there's never been a, a system of government that fully encapsulates the heart of God. Yeah. Except, for, except, I mean, and even, even take it this far, even when God created a perfect, a perfect environment, the Garden of Eden, man still sinned against God. Yeah. So communism is broken. Democracy is broken. Dictatorship is broken. Anarchy is broken. Hmm. Broken people create broken systems. And we have to remember that. I, I do really feel for Americans and fe- I, feel, I feel bad for Western culture because, and here's why, we live in a system that gives us power gives us a vote, gives us the the responsibility to say yes or no, or to vote one way or the other. And with that power, we are now, see, here's a part of privilege. We are privileged as Americans because we get the right to vote and we should utilize that right. But we also need to understand that with that right, we have to be careful to not mix that power with our Christianity. Yeah. I'm I am a Christian. I'm a citizen of heaven first and foremost. Beyond that, I can decide as a member of the American cultural experience, I get a right to vote. And so these things are hard, man. I feel for people because you know, if you were like the Apostle Paul living back under Nero, you didn't have to deal with that. You were just like, you know, pray <laughs> yeah. for those that are over you, respect and honor those that are over you. How do you do that when you have the right to vote them out? It's hard to honor people when you can vote them out. Yeah. And so we have to learn how to do that. And it's not easy. That's a very difficult thing to do. I think a big part of it is making sure that whoever you vote for or whatever party you identify with, don't don't pledge your allegiance to any man or or party or power. Always pledge your allegiance to Jesus. 
And then however you vote, don't let that define who you are. Because what I see is so many Christians picking their team and then they're playing defense. And and it's just constantly, you know, one person saying, oh, did you hear what the Republicans did? Oh, well, it wasn't actually that bad. Look at what the Democrats did or the other way around. You know, oh, man, this this new bill by the Democrats. Oh, you think the Democrats are bad. Did you hear about what the Republicans did? And it's just this constant whataboutism where we refuse to admit the wrong on either side. I think the proper perspective is for Christians, however they vote, when something comes up that is wrong with their party or, or just this, you know, proven to be bad, we should just be like, man, that's really disappointing. I, I'm, I'm grieved by that. I, you know, I don't pledge my allegiance to these political figures. You know, the, it's the lesser of two evils kind of situation. I'm praying for them. I'm hoping that God breaks through and changes something. But ultimately, let me tell you about Jesus, because that's where my allegiance lies. That's my true politic. It's the kingdom of God. That's where, um, that's what I'm fighting for. I'm not fighting for the left or the right. I'm fighting for, for the kingdom. Yeah, that's good. Re- really good. We probably got to wrap up in a minute. I just want to touch back on the, the the privilege thing for a second because I, you know, you've got a lot of educational uh, background on this. You've studied this a lot, and so if you could just kind of critique, you know, my thoughts on this, if that makes sense, I, I'd I'd love to know if if I'm on the right track or not. Just because I'm learning about this and I'm not an expert, and so I'm just constantly forming my opinion on it. But would that be okay? Sure, of course. So I would say that privilege is something that we shouldn't be afraid to talk about. I think that a lot of times conservative Christians, which is the tribe I come from, so I feel like I understand them, they are reacting to the most extreme liberal position on the topic that's coming from some of the very left-leaning teachings. If you do study those, a lot of people on the far left of this really do sound like they're saying all white people are flaming racists and every single white person you know, has an extreme amount of privilege. And, and so I, I think that we're often reacting to that. But I think that just like anything, as Christians, we're called to take whatever the world is throwing out and examine it and find ways to redeem it and find the truth or, or expose the truth in it. I just want to take a minute to read this post. I saw this on Facebook back in June. Uh, a friend of a friend posted this. I don't know him personally, but his name is Russell Holiday, And he's a friend of uh, another friend of mine who's a fellow youth pastor. When I read this, I thought, oh man, this is so good. So I bookmarked it and now I'm going to read it to you. Here's what Russell says. He says, you may be tired of reading about racism, but I think we have to keep ripping this wound open. Regarding racism, I'm found guilty. Since May 25th, 2020, I've been learning slowly from most of you. For a while, I was proud of myself. I would never call myself racist. I don't use racial slurs. I don't mistreat people based on the ethnicity. And I welcome many different people groups into my home. Racism can be challenging to detect if we aren't looking for it. I grew up in East Tennessee, and I went to mostly white schools, but spent five years at one of the most diverse schools in the area, which was still 60% white. I remember a moment where I encountered what I considered to be real racism. It was at a high school football game. The rival football team's student section raised raccoon skins, which is a racial slur, which is linked to the racial slur coon dating back to the early 1900s, while they chanted against our interracial football team. I knew that that was racist. I even thought, that's bad. I would never do that. But I did nothing about it. I was able to block it out of my mind and enjoy watching the game. Not one person took serious action against racism that night. It's messy to confront racism. 
It's also dangerous. He then goes on to mention that the founding of our country had racist ideology mixed in. He says that the same constitution that protects me has enslaved others. When we stand against racism, we might lose some friends who can't see the forest for the trees. Taking a stand is dangerous because it's uncomfortable and it's risky. Yet a surgeon's knife both hurts and heals. The pain is worth it. He says this, Can you imagine what the black parents felt as they watched their boys play a football game overshadowed by animal skins and Confederate flags? How many kept quiet because they felt helpless? White privilege is real. I used to get defensive when I heard that, but it's time that we all take a walk with God on this. Even if we think we aren't racist, consider that we typically judge others by their actions and we justify ourselves by our motives. Nearly 50 years ago, drinking from the same water fountain was a new thing. I don't really think we've made as much progress as we'd like to think. We may not see as much blatant racism today, but it's there. In many ways, it has sat dormant, lingering in the fabric of our constitution. He then says racism is a stronghold, a spiritual war that must be fought by spiritual means. Racism exalts itself against Christ. I'm ashamed of many of my brothers and sisters who seem to be more concerned with defending themselves and their political party. We can do better. I'm starting with a confession of repentance, and I pray that we get this right that we would be bold to speak and to stand against all that is evil, that every nation, tribe, and tongue would be seen, heard, and loved. This world is passing away, and the love of it too, but he who does the will of God will abide forever. As a follower of Christ, I'm convinced that it is the love of God that will cover a multitude of sins. I need the love of Christ in my heart. Real first century Christ, God in the flesh, not 21st century American Jesus who is always white and endorses your political view. We have to humble ourselves and try to understand. We are just beginning to open the wound. We may never fully comprehend on this side of eternity, but we have to try to understand one day at a time. Man, so good. Super, super powerful words. Yeah, that's good. Re- really good. And he's like, that. that is my privilege, that I have grown up not having to think about how racism is a problem because in my community, there's so few black people. I just don't think about it. But now I'm exposed to it. It's happening right in front of me. And this is something this kid has been dealing with his entire life. And I haven't. And I think I think that's that's the key. If, if I don't know if I'm making sense. The key is just realizing when we have had any privilege that puts us in a place where we don't have to think about the problems other people are going through. I'm not just talking about black people. Uh, you know, I'm talking about everybody. Like there, there's stuff that Jewish people go through that I don't know. And I'm not even going to say white privilege. Just I'll just say privilege. Like I, I don't know because I'm not paying attention. There's stuff my Asian friends go through that I don't know. For me, it doesn't mean that I have to, you know, if I'm acknowledging a privilege that I have, it doesn't mean I have to adopt some system where I'm just constantly going around apologizing for myself and, and you know, beating myself and, um, just saying, you know, I'm a horrible person. I'm, I'm this horrible white privileged scumbag. That's not what it is. It's just recognizing where I've been in a position of advantage over someone else. And then the Christian response is saying, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? How can I use the privilege I've been given to help somebody else and extend support or aid to somebody else? Does that, is, is that kind of a naive way of looking at it? Or would you say that's balanced or, I, I feel clueless when it comes to this stuff. I'm still learning. Yeah, well, we all are. I mean, I, I think that any like there's 
very few kind of like quote unquote experts out there, I guess. And, and, and those, and, and those that are, are the ones we should all be listening to. You know, there's, there's a lot of great, there's a lot of amazing people of color who are theologians and who are hmm. pastors and who are writers and who are, who love the church and who love God's people. And I think that I really recommend uh, to people to expand the horizon of their, their, you know, we all tend to like, even when we're going to learn something, we learn within the realm of our own comfort zones. And it's good to get outside of that to, and discover there's a whole other group of people out there who are, who are saying amazing things. Yeah. You know, again, I mentioned Jamar Tisby and that guy loves the church and he loves God's people. And he comes at things from a different perspective and his voice should be heard. And it's, it's, it's valid and it's valuable. And I would just, the only thing I would add to what you're saying is like, I would take it back to um, what Paul said to the Corinthian church. He said, comfort others with the comfort with which you have been comforted with by God. Mm. And think about that. Think about all the different processes that are happening in that verse. Paul says to a person, I want you to comfort other people with the comfort that you have received from God. Now, why did they need to be comforted in the first place? Because obviously they were going through hardship. Hmm. They were going through trial. Yeah. So I think it's important that we remember like whether we're on the side of feeling like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing privilege right now, or I don't feel like I am both sides. We need to, God wants to use us in that moment of our lives. Yeah. So like, there's no, like, there's no, in, in the kingdom of God, we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. We're not just victims when we're in Christ. Okay. Um, societally, we might be, and culturally, we might have experienced that. And we might, and a lot of the, the systems around us don't work for people who are not a part of the majority. But as a Christian person, I want to learn like there, that God provides comfort to those who are in need of his comfort. And so that also means if I'm in the privileged perspective, I want to realize that like, wow, there's things that I could learn right now about God from my black friends. Yeah. There's things about God that I can learn from my Jewish friends or my atheist friends or my Asian friends, I, whether they're a different race, from a different cultural background, from a different religious background. They, we all need the gospel. All of us need Jesus equally, but I can learn about God because we're all image bearers. I can learn about God from them. And especially from my black brothers and sisters in Christ, I have so much that I can learn. I learn about God from their experiences, including, including their hurt, including Mm. their pain. Yeah. And so when I'm, when I'm um, weeping with those who weep, it's not just to sit there and weep alone. It's to grow. It's to learn. It's to understand. It's to connect. You know, all those things are so important for my own personal growth. So we don't have to just look at it from the position of I'm privileged or I'm not. It's the position of I'm privileged because I get the opportunity to learn more about God from the people around me. That's good. That's really, really good, man. I, th- I think that might be a good, good place to end it. What do you think? <laughs> so, sounds good. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for, thanks for being on the show, Phil. Thanks for your perspective. And what, how soon can we look forward to this show popping out? Yeah. So September 30th, it's coming out. Great. Uh, we're going to start putting them out once a week. In fact, I'm going to send out, you know, really soon, I'm going to start putting out just little, like, you know, a couple Instagram pictures. We're going to start putting out a couple videos, just little tags, little bits here and there. But then September 30th, is going to be our first episode going out live or not going out live 
going out to the world. <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to it, man. And I'm sure everyone listening to this will be too. You've, you've Thanks done... for having me on this. Yeah, man. We definitely got to have you on here again. I've got a whole nother list of uh, questions for you about things like the mission field and just faithfulness and ministry and all that kind of stuff. So let's, let's definitely do another conversation soon. Sounds good. I'm in. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. If you like our show, please take a minute and give us a review on iTunes. It seriously helps out so much. The more reviews we get, the more people find the show. And so if you want people to be able to find the show, please go to iTunes and give us a quick review or a rating. We also love to answer listener questions on the show. So if you have any questions that you'd like for us to talk about, please send it to our email. It's goodlionnetwork at gmail.com and we'll make sure that we get around to it. The Good Lion Podcast is a production of the Calvary Global Network and it's produced by myself, Brian Higgins, and my co-host, Aaron Salvato. This show is part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasts that Aaron and I started with some friends of ours that is focused on getting Jesus-centered content out to speak to all kinds of areas of life. You can check out our website to learn the different kinds of content we're making. It's goodlion.io. If you head over there, you'll find all kinds of Christ-centered, encouraging podcasts. Our goal with this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content that helps them walk closer with Jesus. If you like what we do and want to support us, please go to goodlion.io slash support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 